This podcast was first broadcast on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Go to radioverulam.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts and, if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now we're really lucky here in St Albans to have a beautiful cathedral right at the heart of our city. It's the first thing you see when you approach St Albans from the south or from the west and part of its heritage is as a safe haven for people. But increasingly, the cathedral and the land around it is becoming an important haven for wildlife too. Later, we'll hear about the soon-to-be-completed work on the Sumter Yard, which has transformed it into a welcoming green space for people and pollinators alike. But first, I've got news about one of the newest and most exciting residents at the cathedral, the peregrine falcons. Now, a peregrine falcon chick successfully hatched on St Albans Cathedral last week, making history as the first of the species to be born in our city. Now, you remember that earlier in the month, it was announced that a pair of the falcons had bred on the cathedral for the first time and that two eggs had been laid. Now, since then, there's been cautious excitement in the countdown to the eggs hatching, along with high levels of interest in the falcons from bird watchers and the local community who've been visiting the cathedral grounds to spot them. Now, the chick hatched in a purposefully installed nesting tray in a location really high up on the cathedral and is being tended by its parents. Heidi Carruthers of Wilder St Albans said it was thrilling to see a chick has hatched safely and we're really excited to follow the bird's journey onto fledging. Peregrines are such an iconic species so it's fitting to have them making a home on the most iconic building in St Albans. Barry Trevis, who was one of the volunteers who helped to put the nesting tray in place, added, with the first egg having hatched over the period about the 16th to 17th of May, now appears that the second egg will not hatch so long after the first. It's probably infertile. With an inexperienced new breeding pair, it's not particularly unusual. At least we've got one chick, and considering the sheltered and secure nest position with the benefits of cover that the tray provides, plus plenty of food around then it should survive to fledging around the last week in June. Now the adult peregrine is a powerful bird of prey it's got blue grey plumage white face contrasting black moustache and it's extremely quick and agile in fact it holds the record for being not only the fastest bird in the world but also the fastest member of the animal kingdom with a diving speed in excess of wait for this 200 miles an hour. Numbers of this species fell through the first half of the 20th century to critical levels in the 1960s. But today's peregrine falcons are protected by law as a Schedule 1 listed species of the Wildlife and Countryside Act. And it's now an offence to disturb the birds in any way. And their numbers are slowly increasing, albeit with an estimated 1,500 breeding pairs nationwide, they've still got a long way to go. Now, peregrines are only found in a small number of isolated spots in the southeast of England and the St Albans pair are one of only five pairs breeding in Hertfordshire. 
To celebrate the successful breeding of the peregrine pair, St Albans Cathedral ran a poll to name the birds resulting in the names Boudicca and Alban winning the public vote. And Kevin Walton, Canon Chancellor of St Albans Cathedral, said, We are very pleased to welcome our new peregrine falcon to its temporary home in the cathedral tower. And as it prepares to take to the skies... We wish upon it God's blessings. Congratulations also to Alban and Boudicca. Isn't that lovely? The Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust, St Albans Cathedral and RSPB East have teamed up to deliver regular peregrine watch events so that we the public can enjoy seeing these majestic birds close up. Starting from the 28th of May and running over every weekend and bank holiday until the 17th of July between 11 and 3pm they're going to set up an area within the Abbey Orchard in Verulamium Park where telescopes will be trained on the peregrines and their chick. Now, additionally, there's going to be a camera and a small screen for one of the telescopes, which will make watching the birds accessible, particularly for children or for adults in wheelchairs. And volunteers are going to be on hand to give information and literature and to answer all our questions about the birds. And whilst the arrival of the peregrine chick is a first for St Albans, it is actually likely that it won't be the last. Apparently, peregrines normally mate for life and can remain loyal to their nest site each year. So hopefully, this breeding pair will remain here and continue add to the numbers of the species. That's fantastic, isn't it? But as I said earlier, it's not just peregrines that are finding a home at the cathedral. If you've accessed the cathedral from Hollywell Hill recently, you'll have noticed upheaval in the area known as the Sumpter Yard. Work there is just finishing on a beautiful revival of the space. Gone are the barren rose beds and the stark spaces. Instead, there's flowering trees and meadowy grass. I spoke to the cathedral's canon chancellor, the Reverend Canon Kevin Walton, and I started by asking him to tell us about the wider vision at the cathedral, of which the development of the Sumter Yard is just one part. As you know, we've spent quite a bit of time and uh, money on the inside of the cathedral and, and parts of new builds, but there was just an awareness that uh, the, the outside has become a neglected area. And unlike some cathedrals, uh, you know, we, we, we sit in um, a wider landscape, but it's not obvious what that has always been. Um, so we actually had a we commissioned a, a survey of the wider area, including the orchard, uh, the north, north churchyard, and so on. Just looking at, at what it what it has been and how we can try and to recapture some of that. So citing the cathedral building in its natural setting. There's quite a bit of research done by our guides, and also we overlay an archaeological reconstruction which was done in the 19th century. So we we overlaid that on our current footprint to remind ourselves of what things were like or what we think they were like and to what extent we can recapture some of that, not so much in terms of the buildings, but in terms of the natural landscape. And it's part of just this wider vision of wanting to care for our building and our environment, which is one of our main priorities of the cathedral. So the the Sumter Yard itself, can you tell us anything about the history of that? What, What was it used for? Well, Sumter comes from the idea that it was the deliveries, the cart horses. Um, but in some ways, I think that can perhaps be a m- bit misleading because we, when we look at Sumter Yard, or we did until recently, um, it was really seen as a car park and a, and a driveway in. But actually, part of this, what part of this review 
um, reminded us of is that it was for a long time, most of the time, it was a very green space. So, for instance, one of our guides did a report which goes back to Abbot Hugh in the 1300s, and it talked about how he redeveloped the place, weeded it, leveled the grounds, possibly about the time of the Lady Chapel, and it was described as the, the place was made so pleasant, delightful, that everybody... Um, monks and brothers were made much keener to walk through it. So it was a place of relaxation, of wholeness. We also uncovered photographs from the 1880s, which showed it as a productive garden. So that 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 is part of the history as well. So we're wanting to bring that back in and through the design that it's a place that people can walk through. So there will be vehicle access, but much more emphasis on the um, people walking um, down through Waxhouse Gate, but also from Holywell Hill, uh, but also a place to sit in as well and to relax. Indeed. Well, it, it certainly does look like a, a beautiful green space now. So you've spoken about the history there. So much of St Albans, uh, and particularly around Verulamium Park, is the site of all sorts of uh, Roman and archaeological stuff. Were you restricted in any way by the archaeology of the area? To some extent, but we're, we're, because we, we're quite familiar with it. So in some places, there was a case of not digging too deep. We did find... Um, a body, a monk. Um, so obviously we had to work around that, and that was excavated. So the, there was a watching brief from archaeologists, but the plan itself took all that into account. So it wasn't as much of a restriction as it had been if it would have been if we didn't know so much about it. Okay. So you've you've spoken about trying to make this more of a space for walking through, for for pausing. What kind of things did you did you ask the people who were designing this space? What kind of things did you ask for them to include in it? Well, actually, it started sort of further back from that. So they started by asking questions. So we asked them to, to um, do a wide consultation of people involved with the cathedral community stakeholders, but also local environmental groups and various other people. And actually, the person that did that, Joe Gibbons, she just walked around with them and they just pointed out various things. So it started from that point of view. There was the sensitivity to the history as well. And I think also to, yes, to create that space to get away from the hard landscaping and the sort of municipal look in, in terms of gardening to something a much, much more natural, really. So can you tell us anything about any of the features that there are there? And for instance, I noticed there was a, a log pile included in one of the boards. Yes, yeah, there is. There's a, a sort of book hotel, I suppose you call it. Um, there's a pile of logs that's deliberate. So that's about um, increasing diversity of biodiversity. The planting is quite tight. So it's very it's a very careful scheme, but there are interplanting. So, for instance, you've got Achillea growing different, between different plants. There's quite a few scented plants, so the lavender hidcarts and salvias, catmint, nepeta, and oregano is a sort of carpeting effect. There's quite a few new trees going in. We're actually having problems sourcing some at the moment, so they're not all around at the moment for various reasons. But so, for instance, we have got three local heritage varieties of Hertfordshire trees. So one of them is called the Ethelbert Oakenfall, which was discovered by that person and donated by his son. That was that was um, discovered in the 1950s. And also we've got three um, Dean Jeffrey trees named after our last Dean. And again, they are local Hertfordshire varieties that were discovered and were named after him. So there's a real sense of trying to get local 
heritage apple trees in there as well. Uh, we've got some crab apples that will be a, a, arriving before too long. There'll be espaliers. We've got uh, a fig tree because they were popular in medieval Britain and also medlar, which are very popular as well. So the, there are the trees and then also, yes, yeah, so, the, so the scented plants as well. So it's a sort of um, trying to get the biodiversity in terms of pollination in insects and, and, and so on. And as you mentioned, the the yew, uh, um, so tightly low-cut yew hedging around the borders as well. Yes, well, that's something that's traditionally been included around religious buildings, isn't it? And, and, and nice to see it included in a slightly different way there. Yeah, and I should mention the, uh, the wildflower element as well. So underneath, particularly where the Indian bean tree is, and, and that, that was there before, We've created a path through a lawn there, which goes up to Waxhouse Gate, and we put wildflower turf in there as well. And one of the plants there is a crimson clover. And part of the reason for choosing that is we think that's that's the, the one of the flowers described in the account of when Alban was beheaded in Roman times and there were colourful flowers. That's one of those that's traditionally linked to that. And in fact, it's actually in the canopy um, at the Alban shrine as well. So linking in part of our heritage as well in, into that. That sounds amazing. And a, and a real eye for detail in here, real connection between the, the history of the place and what you've planted. And, and that flowery grass that there is there, will that be managed as a wildflower meadow? Yes, it is. I mean, don't, say exa- don't ask me what the actual cutting regime is, but there is a maintenance plan. And obviously for the first year, it's under guarantee. So the people that have done the planting will, will come back. But after that, we'll be going out to look for local local skills, a sort of maybe a gardener role with the, the appropriate um, horticultural skills and the rest of it. And particularly if we expand, there may be opportunities to expand that, that, that gardening role and for people to learn skills and so on. Okay, well, that sounds like a, a, an exciting opportunity for someone. And, and just, I suppose, thinking about that and, and the connection with people, do you hope that we will find elements of, of this new space to sort of take home and try in our own gardens? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think across St Albans, there's a growing emphasis on wilding and so on. And I think if, if it's done well and people see that, it's a different way of gardening, as I said at the beginning, away from a sort of municipal look of tightly mown grass and certain types of trees to a greater diversity and encouraging insects and wildlife as well. So I'm sure it will. Yes, um, absolutely. Well, so it looks like this will be a fantastic space for wildlife, but as you say, hopefully better for people as well. And you have got some beautiful new benches there. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, so the benches, they're made from sustainable mahogany and they're they're donated by individuals. So the point about this, the whole project is funded by individual donors. So so local people connected to the cathedral as well. So that it's purely from from that really and that and those benches make that that statement to people. So just looking forward, you were talking about, you know, the sort of general revival of the area around the cathedral. Do you have any any plans to, to work on other areas in the future? Yeah, so there was a top level study of the whole area, as I said, so including 
what we call the orchard and the north churchyard and then but we decided to focus in on this to begin with because it brings a completion to the welcome center so we're now considering about how this may expand so that that's still part of the we have a new dean so we're looking at all our priorities and we're looking at how we can get to carbon net zero and all those sort of things as well so so it's all part of the mix so there is potential to develop the orchard sites and again bringing some diversity into that maybe some trees at the lower end of the orchard where the archaeology is less sensitive that needs to be more more explored and also the area down towards the deanery offices where there is parking area but there's also quite a bit of garden there which we can use for hospitality but again that's underdeveloped so so these are all part of the the, the plan but we don't yet have a definite timetable for that Okay, so lots of lots of exciting ideas sort of brewing, but but nothing specific just now. So I, I've just been to take a look at the new gardens. Looks lovely, but there's still the the orange barriers up there because work is still being done. When will those be going down? When will we be able to sit on those lovely benches and enjoy the garden? It should be hopefully this week. So I think part of the issue, like I said, is we've had trouble sourcing some of the trees and the plants, but they will be coming back. So there's a bit more to be done in terms of improving the disabled parking spaces so there'll be the workers will be coming back in july to to relay paving there um, but this bit should be done hopefully this week and i said we should be able to have full access fantastic all ready for that summer sunshine dr canon kevin walton thank you very much indeed okay thank you Well, I'm really looking forward to going back to the new garden to see if I can spot the special red clover and those wonderful local apple trees. I'll be back at the same time next week, but until then, thank you for listening.